everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Dead and Married. I'm Travis. And I'm Ashley. And this week, we're talking about a series that we have not covered yet. <laughs> Actually, not the whole series. We're just doing the first one. We're doing A Nightmare on Elm Street. And I have dodged this bullet for nearly two years, but I can't do it anymore. I still don't understand why. <sighs> Explain it to me. That, like right now, or are we going to get into that later? No, do it, do it now. Right By now? All means, yeah. I don't... I don't know. I've just never cared for this series. I think it's because I like their box art scared me when I was a kid. Oh, yeah. yeah. Understandable. But then as an adult, I don't think the first one I saw was the original. Wasn't I? It so I always associate Freddy with funny. Mm-hmm. And so I just can't take him seriously as a scary villain. I I, yeah, I understand I, that. I think that's it. It's not that they're bad necessarily. I just, there's nothing scary about it. If I had seen the first one first before they got all campy with it, I think I probably would feel differently about it. Mm-hmm. But I just don't take, I don't take any of them seriously as horror films because, yeah, I think the first one I saw, uh, Freddy's all, welcome to prime time, bitch. And I'm like, well, okay, that's not something people do. Was that the first one you saw? When Could've Freddy versus Jason? No, no, no. That, well, maybe. Either way. Either way. <laughs> um, neither of those were serious films. Right, yeah. And uh, I think that kind of colored my opinion of the whole franchise. Okay. So. Um, well, you're talking to somebody on the opposite end of that spectrum because I was terrified of Freddy growing up. Like, seriously, like, had a phobia of him. Um, I guess it started whenever I was little. Um, my mom and my aunt were living together at the time. And they, of course, loved him. And I remember the house we were living in at the time um it was a duplex they shared with a roommate in georgia and they had one of the film posters on uh one of the doors in the living room and i don't i couldn't tell you what film it was from maybe freddie was just on the poster but i remember not being able to get anywhere in the vicinity of it and just freaking out and then my mom tried to take me i don't know if my youngest brother had been born yet um but i remember her specifically trying to take me to see part two when I was really really little and I pitched a fit through the entire theater just screamed it through the biggest fit you could imagine until she had no choice but to take me home which I'm going why on earth would you take a two-year-old to movie theater to see or I don't know if I was two but I was little but why on earth would you take somebody that small to see that in a theater um fast forward 30 some odd years later and <laughs> or 20 some odd years later rather and I would be watching all of that stuff with my own kids when they were babies so uh yeah not much not much room to talk here but uh uh the original was not the first film I saw either I actually think that Dream Warriors was the first one I ever saw and I was mm, probably still in that kind of six through eight era I couldn't tell you specifically what age but definitely really young oh. I actually didn't see the original until you and I had already gotten together, if you can believe that. Wow. Um, and you were working overnight at the time, and we were living in an apartment, and uh, we, you were gone to work, and I decided I was going to pop that bad boy on and watch it by myself in the dark <laughs> for the first time. Good call. And I was, and, and again, I was really young. I was probably 18 or 19. Um, I remember just being terrified to go to sleep after the fact, even though I, at that point, I had already seen most of the series just had never seen that one. I don't know for whatever reason I thought maybe that one would be more tame in comparison because once you've seen everything from part three up, you know, they had the more innovative dream sequences and were more kind of mean-spirited with the kills 
and stuff. And there was, there was a lot there that, like you said, you kind of couldn't take it seriously. And so I guess I was expecting that this one wouldn't be as bad, but I was, I was wrong. So for that reason, I'm always going to hold this film in such a high regard. It, it's a happy memory that I got shit scared out of me. <laughs> so anyway, I've, I've been talking too long. Well, you just took off for that one. <laughs> um... Wow. No, I didn't see this film until I was an adult, probably in the last few years. Actually, um, it's been very recent that I actually sat through it and kind of watched it. He was today years old. I was today years old. <laughs> um, and you still poked me to wake me up a couple of times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. Like I said, I just had a hard time taking him seriously. It's kind of like, sort. it's almost the opposite of Child's Play. So the first Child's Play I saw that you had me watch was the first one. Mm-hmm. And Chucky is actually disturbing, I think, in the first one. Yeah, yeah. You get to Bride of Chucky. And if I had seen Bride of Chucky before I saw the original, I wouldn't take him seriously either. Mm-hmm. Just because I, I still take Jennifer Tilly seriously, but I would not take Charles Lee Ray seriously. Right. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think it's it's all about the, int- the introduction. Yeah. And I would say that um, people like Michael Myers and Jason Voorhees, they have pretty well been taken seriously through almost the entirety of their franchises, you know. Well, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact they don't talk. Maybe. Yeah. You know, there's nothing... If you poke holes in it, you're poking holes in the acting going on around them, not necessarily the the person themselves. Because it, I didn't realize um, all the differences in the different people that had played Michael Myers until we did every Halloween. Mm-hmm. I didn't care about that. I never paid any attention to it. Uh, who was doing what or how they behaved necessarily. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, you just got a guy on, on screen in a mask that doesn't talk and he kills you. And it's the same right. thing with Jason. But when you have a killer with a personality, um, when you jump in on the backside where they're just trying to make sequels and make money. Uh, So they care a little bit less about quality and more about just we're going to sell some tickets. Yeah. Yeah. That being said, though, <laughs> the character of Freddy Krueger would not be who he is in, in a pop, the pop culture icon that he is without Robert Englund's performance. Absolutely. I, I think that he is the series. Like, he and Wes Craven are synonymous with that, the, the series of films. Whether, for better or for worse, there were good entries, bad entries, uh, Wes Craven had involvement or didn't have involvement, those two are the people you associate yeah. with this series. Well, definitely Robert England because he stayed with it even after, uh, what did I just say? <laughs> Robert England. I think I said David England. No. Robert England. Um <laughs> Because he stuck with it, you know, throughout, uh, whereas Wes Craven, he kind of bailed uh, after the first one, right? And then he, he did... He had some involvement with And then he did New Nightmare. And New Nightmare, yeah. Um, but yeah, England was there for the duration. Yeah. Uh, but I think this is the one that kind of put them both on the map, because prior to this... Um, Craven had just done what Last House on the Left, I think, mm, and no, he this, but this is what made him. This is what got him some notoriety. Right, this film was kind of made him. He's kind of a big deal. <laughs> um, and same thing with Robert England, which he doesn't. He didn't originally cast Robert England for this. He had cast someone else that was a little bit older, because mm-hmm. um, originally Freddie was supposed to be an old man. And uh, it didn't work out because of filming schedules, and they ended up bringing in Robert England, and he killed it. So yeah, yeah. And um... okay, so we'll we'll come back around to you because I, <laughs> I just watched you like power down over there, <laughs> like the Windows boot screen came up. <laughs> so maybe had... you'll think of what you were gonna say. Later. <laughs> I had a sentence and it just disappeared. <laughs> I'm, I'm just gonna attribute that to old age. It's just do 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 do. Yes. And she's gone. <laughs> I was. I don't know what the hell that was. <laughs> I've I've had that before. You got a thought, and then all of a sudden, uh, what is it, Mac? You sad, Mac? Yeah. <laughs> just bam. It's like my brain just turned off. 
Uh, who knows? Anyway. You got a Sys 32 error. Anyway. Um, <laughs> that means throw it in the trash. <laughs> um, so first impressions of this film. Go. I, I believe we already covered that. No, we talked about the first how, time we the watched fact it. That I couldn't take it seriously and didn't really care for these films. But did you really talk about your first experience? Yes, I, I really did. That was literally yeah, because you were scared. We you were scared at the apartment. Yes. Okay. Moving on. I, speaking of reboot, <laughs> I forgot to back up. <laughs> we're not here today. <laughs> uh, cast and crew. Cast and crew. Which this this film was written and directed by Wes Craven. <gasps> remembered my thought okay let's have it wow i'm ready (laughs) i was going to say that this film also put new line on the map because this was um very much like halloween in that it was an independent company an independent film and really kind of forced them to be a studio that got taken seriously i mean they had had a couple of smaller films before like i believe alone in the dark um that just kind of came and went and didn't do anything but when you brought some a character like this and a story like this that was in 84 we're kind of we've already kind of gotten to the end of that golden age of slashers this was something different that kind of pulled people out of that fatigue that was starting to happen in that genre and yeah I mean now we've got a studio provided uh, Bob Shea has retired it's been so many years but these it gave us like fucking Lord of the Rings that won like eight Oscars like it they became a huge deal you know yeah. off, off the back of this lone character i just that's insane to me yeah and if i remember correctly they, the reason they had to self-release was because none of the big studios would touch it right mm-hmm. everybody turned them down so shay and craven were like well i guess we're just gonna have to do the damn thing then yeah and to me that's real maverick filmmaking that's like that's like george a romero driving night of the living dead around in his trunk you know trying to distribute it to people it's just it, people I, I just feel like people don't really take that kind of level of care anymore no no they don't so cast uh heather langenkamp plays nancy thompson uh she just she gets better with age uh johnny depp plays glenn lance do they ever say his last name yes what they do they what do you mean he does not does not get better with age don't come at me oh no 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 (laughs) sorry that's my opinion (laughs) he if you look at him in this film versus the last the most current photo i've seen of him they almost don't even look like the same person no Um, no johnny depp will always be 90s johnny depp in my mind it's married life (laughs) for you um <laughs> robert england plays fred krueger john saxon is lieutenant uh thompson uh marge thompson is played by i'm not gonna do it ronnie Don't blakely it. ronnie blakely plays marge thompson we'll talk <sighs> damn i was gonna say something else we'll talk amanda weiss plays tina gray and sue garcia plays rod lane but they credited him as nick Corey because uh latino actors they didn't want him at the time couldn't get yeah. work back then which i find surprising because what wasn't Lou Diamond Phillips working in the 80s? Oh, uh, yeah, but I think it was all TV, wasn't it? I, I don't know. I just... I don't know. But, I mean, to his point, that's that's pretty fair. I mean, I can't think of very many Latino actors that, you know, were a big deal in the 80s. No. You know, maybe Edward James almost. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, possibly. Yeah, but I think they were mostly cast as background characters, supporting roles, you know, like, they got stereotyped hard. Yeah. I think, in the 80s. So, and, and he had speaking lines and all this. <laughs> other stuff right but the only reason he had that's because they told him all that he was italian so yeah. mm-hmm. anyway um yeah so this is like the third movie in a couple of days that i watched with johnny depp in it i'm not sure how i feel about that uh, that was entirely isabel's fault it was because <laughs> <laughs> 
So first you wanted to watch um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Well, it started off with My Little Pony movie. Uh-huh. And then it was, I want to watch Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And I was like, you sure you don't want to watch Willy Wonka? And she's like, no, I want to watch Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. That's weird, Johnny Depp. Like, he's <laughs> he's full weird in that one. He's full Michael Jackson in that he one. He <laughs> did. He's like, he's like Michael Jackson and Marilyn Manson had a baby. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> and then as soon as it's over, she's like, Edward Scissorhands. Jesus. <laughs> And then I had forgotten he was even in this one. So, yeah, I guess all we got left is what's eating Gilbert Grape. <laughs> and then I'll be done. She told me that in school last week, it, it probably, this is probably the school's fault, actually. She told me that they had watched uh, <clears throat> Sleepy Hollow last week. And I remember thinking, that's kind of strange to watch for a bunch of fourth graders, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> well, not for our fourth grader. You know, I mean, but this coming from someone who heard scary stories to tell in the dark in the second grade. So... Right. <laughs> Right. Um, so we didn't talk about ratings. This is actually one of the higher rated horror films that we've covered. It's a 7.4 out of 10 on IMDb and 95% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is unbelievably high for any kind of film. Yeah. Much less a horror film. That, that's, so. the, that's the difference is I think it all comes down to the filmmaker and Wes Craven is he's a really good filmmaker. And that's not to say that he hasn't had some duds in his, you know, uh, filmol- or yeah, filmology. <laughs> is that word I'm looking for? Limeology. <laughs> Um, that's not to say he hasn't had a few misses, but he, he was somebody who liked to tell a story. And I think that's been the reason that we've had like our big three and stuff is because you would have a talented filmmaker that would set us up with an incredible story and an incredible villain. And, you know, that's why these films tend to transcend time. You're giving him a lot of credit there. Yes, I am. I absolutely have the highest respect okay. for right. Wes Craven. Right. He does do pretty good. He does all right. <laughs> It's okay. It's probably okay. It's probably just all right. But remember, <laughs> he wrote Swamp Thing. So <laughs> just keep that in oh mind. Oh my gosh. So anyway, uh, moving on. Story. What do you think about this story? I think this story, and again, kind of going back to what I said, being a, a terrific story because nothing like this had really been done ever. And filmmakers later would go and kind of replicate his method of, I'm going to pull out of the headlines for my story. You know, Eli Roth did that with Hostel. Um, taking something that has happened puts that realism in there of this is something that could happen to me and makes it even scarier you know like he pulled from um the story about uh believe what country was like young or something like that boy that um or among i can't pronounce the word but this boy that was just terrified to go to sleep and his parents were trying desperately to get him to sleep and um he kept saying if i go to sleep i just know i'm gonna die and then one night it actually happens he's thrashing in his sleep and then he just dies for no reason because there's nothing physically wrong with him and then kind of in the aftermath of everything his parents found um uh, caffeine tablets and coffee hidden in his bedroom and you know we don't of course know what the boy was dreaming about so kind of adding fred in there was you know just an act- added extra element but that idea of when you're at your most vulnerable and there's nothing you can do to escape it that's terrifying to me so 
for me, it it makes the story really accessible and yeah, really scary. And I love the characters that he wrote for this. You know, they seemed like they kind of came from all walks of life. It wasn't just a group of popular kids. It wasn't just a group of uh, wrong side of the track kids. It was kind of a good blend of the typical teenager. And we had a strong, resourceful heroine in Nancy. And I, yeah, I, I think it's incredible. I, I'm, I'm the wrong person to talk to about this because I have nothing but good things to say about it. Okay. He's like, you, <laughs> you're talking too much. No, you just teed off on it. That's good. Though. Again. That's, that's what we're here for. <laughs> Is it my turn? Yeah. Sorry. I would, <laughs> how do you feel about the story? That's okay. <laughs> See? It's all right. This is why you're depending on me. <laughs> it's just okay. Uh, I like it that I like it that Craven pulls from real world stuff. He seems like he's a very well read guy, and he does a lot of his research. Um, like for instance, Freddy Krueger's um, sweater is red and green because, according to an article he read, red and green are the hardest two colors for the eyes to see together. Mm-hmm. Like those, if you if you have them both in front of you next to each other at the same time, it's the hardest colors for the brain's process. So like, it's just hard to look at. He was a college professor before he was a filmmaker. Well, isn't he smart then? <laughs> Just say it in case you didn't know that. Mr. Smarty Pants. <laughs> but he seems to do a lot of research. Um, like you were talking about with the kid who actually died mm-hmm. from a nightmare. And and then draws on personally experience as well. Because I guess Freddie was partially inspired by a homeless person hanging out outside his house when he was a or, kid or, or something drunk. like that. Yeah. That, and like, a bully that beat him up in school. Yeah. So it, a lot of it's inspired by real events. And he's done his research to kind of make it as scary as you can mm-hmm. or as he could like kind of get in your head and and that's kind of what he tried to do with Scream and it didn't work for me but it, it worked for a lot of people uh, so I can appreciate that I, the story's fine it's I don't know I feel like they got a pretty good mix of characters I disagree with you that they come from all walks of life um, Nancy her dad's the lieutenant or chief of police or whatever Tina I mean clearly she's like an attractive blonde girl so she's probably not unpopular at school yeah but she also comes from a broken home where her mother kind of runs I, off and leaves her I and- get it but like Johnny Depp's supposed to be a jock the only one that's that's kind of out is uh what's his button he looks like he's a reject from Greece <laughs> I'm just saying they could have all been the same carbon copy douchebag jocks that they like uh, think about the group of kids in April Fool's Day that were all rich cardigan wearing snobs. I felt like these kids were different. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I do appreciate Johnny Depp did not play your typical jock and it makes me wonder what sport he was actually playing. I don't know. Baseball. I could see baseball Uh, maybe. Maybe maybe baseball. But he was not your typical sports guy. No. I mean he was a musician before he got cast for this. Yeah. No, no, no. But I mean the way he played it. Yeah. Um, so he was supposed to be like the high school athlete and, but he wasn't necessarily written like that. He no, didn't come off the typical soft spoken and, you know, the way, uh, Hemsworth does in Cabin in the Woods, right? Like the Uber male mm-hmm. <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. Um, was, he, was, he played it off very differently. So anyway, uh, I don't know. Story's, story's fine. That's all I got. You're terrible at this. I'm not terrible at it. I just, <laughs> there's nothing about it that really stuck out at me. Uh, I mean, the idea of dying in your, in your dream is interesting, I guess. Um, but I mean, insomnia can kill you too. So, I mean, it's, it's sort of a double-edged sword in this, right? Mm-hmm. But anyway. I mean, how scary would it be for you to wake up and literally be beating someone to death with a loaf of french bread ah you know (laughs) that might be entertaining actually (laughs) that could be a lot of fun this is literally a dream he had once i did i did it was a crusty loaf (laughs) anyway so special effects now this is something we can talk about oh really it is i'm gonna let you take the reins on this one they were good your turn (laughs) oh my god 
No, I mean, one of, I, I feel like, what is it they said? There were like 80 different effects in this 90-minute film. So you're getting some kind of effect on screen almost every you know minute and a half, mm-hmm. which I think is fantastic. Um, again, you can tell that they were kind of low budget. They were doing what they could with what they had. Mm-hmm. But I, I think they did a great job. I'm, the, the one that I'm in particular um, sort of impressed with is at the very beginning when you first kind of see Freddy, but you don't really, um, when Heather's asleep and you see his face come out of the wall. Nancy. Or, uh, what did I say? Heather. Okay. Well, that was her name. That's her <laughs> well, name. I know, but. That's her real life name. <laughs> We're using real names here. Um, <clears throat> you see him like coming through the wall and I that's probably the first film I've seen where they did that. I mean, obviously it's been replicated since then. Um, Tina's kill. That's brutal. And it's uh, the way they used a, a rotating room basically to film that I think is fantastic. Johnny Depp's kill scene. I don't even know how much blood they used for that, but it was a lot. And there was a whole thing with them sort of losing control of the set because they dumped too much fake blood in there and it threw the whole thing off balance and rotated the room and Wes Craven electrocuted people electrocuted people Wes Craven was strapped into a camera chair and like upside down and shit and (laughs) yeah it was crazy man it was the (laughs) 80s it was just a free-for-all back then but uh, there was just a, there was a lot of really impressive stuff in this. Yeah, and I will shut up now because you want to talk. No, it's not that you're like jiggling this pencil cup around, and I'm like, because I'm nervous. You know, you know that's reading right now, right? No. Just like taking a sip of my tasty beverages. Yeah, yeah. How's that? <laughs> how's that Sprite treating you over there? It's good. Anyway, no. It, what I think kind of just trips me out about it is that of the entire film series, this is probably the simplest one that they have because they would go on to get bigger and better and crazier with their effects down the line. Um, some some for good, some for bad. But you know, um, this one just the simplicity of some of the effects. You you know, like fishing wire and pancake batter, like some of it's, it's really, really wild to think that they made something look so great with very little, you know, and those are the stories you like to hear about, you know, this effect cost me a buck 50, you know, that's, that's just tremendous. Yeah. Didn't they say the tongue in the telephone was like $5? Oh, I don't, I don't. Yeah. And Heather Langenkamp wanted to take it home with her when they thought that was kind of weird. Yeah. Now that I say it out loud, I feel like that's kind of weird. Uh, no, I would totally have that phone. I bet you. You would. <laughs> but no, that it was a five dollar effect. You were yeah. talking about they you know, they did it on the cheap. Mm-hmm. Like that's it's pretty impressive. Yeah, those are the those are the best kinds, the ones that are so simple that you don't have to you know, you don't have any choice but to use what you have on hand to make something look realistic. I think that's when you were forced to be your most creative. And with the the one you mentioned, uh the sticky stairs. Mm-hmm. It was like bisquick and food coloring. No, just bisquick and water. No, no, but there was blue. The carpet was blue, wasn't it? Or maybe it was just the camera, the lighting made no. it. Oh, yeah, it was it was white. Yeah, but that was one. There were a couple of those effects, and that one is what makes me think of it, that I guess Bob Shea wanted them in the film, mm-hmm. and they weren't in the film, and Craven really didn't want them in the film, but he finally was like, yeah, all right, you can have it. Yeah. Here's a cookie. <laughs> You've been good in the grocery store. You get to pick out a toy. Um, yeah. But there were a few of those that Shay wanted, I guess, pretty hard. And there was some contention over whether or not it was going to make it in the film. Well, for me, that's the one effect that kind of sticks out because to me, you can see those spots in the stairs. Yes. And maybe you couldn't back then. Maybe it's just having to do with the fact that pictures become so much better now. But you can definitely see where those holes are cut out and filled up with something yes. else. Yes. <laughs> But there's so many of those effects now that you're, to this day, I'm still like, how the fuck did they do that? And one of those is Tina floating in the fucking air up to the ceiling. You know, it's just so surreal that it's, you know, you feel like you're seeing magic.
pick, you know? Yeah, so you got me on that one. And I don't remember when we we watched, uh, was it Never Sleep Again? Mm-hmm. And they talk about that whole scene, but they never talk about how they, they got don't. her to float. They don't. Because you're right. There is a scene where she's headed towards the ceiling where she floats to the ceiling. And you know how she's crawling around. They rotated the room. It was right. on a gimbal. Mm-hmm. And so she's basically just crawling around on the floor as the room rotates. But they never said how they got that where she's floating up to the ceiling to begin the scene. Yeah, it's like, did they turn the room and she was forced to fall and they shot it in reverse? You know, that's the only thing I can think of. But it's it, the way they did it is just so amazing. I like that's that's probably going to be my favorite effect of the film, in all honesty. And um, the, you know, there there's ones that we've watched enough makings of that we t- say, oh, that's a dummy, that's a body double, that's a cast. You know, the person was laying in a cut out of the floor, and they had another half body built to show this or whatever. It's an inflatable person, and they sucked it through a window. Yeah, we we have watched enough of these to know how the magic trick was performed but i think there's something better in not knowing how they did it you know so many years later that's only magic until you know how they did it yeah exactly magic is gone and i this is one for me that it's still so effective because you don't quite know exactly how they did it and the thing is you know they probably used wires of some kind right but you can't see them at all and in those early 80s movies anytime they put anything on fishing line it's there's always a frame you can be like yeah there it is (laughs) yeah like like evil dead (laughs) you can always see you can see the wires every yeah. time you can't in that one yeah so I'm, I'm sure that's how they did it but it was incredibly well done and well edited so that it looks pretty damn good yeah yeah because nowadays they would have CGI'd it and it would look like shit you would have gotten the remake which was entirely CGI like shit <laughs> yeah it was totally awful <laughs> which is sad because they had a pretty good actor playing Freddy just the movie was trash there were there were some good ideas I think brought forth in that one and like the execution just wasn't there no like bringing up the notion, sorry to sidestep for a minute, the notion that he was innocent and didn't do it and they killed him anyway, that was like, oh my God, this is an interesting new take. And, you know, that kind of makes sense, you know, to make it the story fresh again. You turn and it then, into a revenge tale. Yeah. And then they turn back around. Oh no, the secret is that he really did do this the whole entire time and you're not doing anything So there was never different. a secret. Um, the idea of micronaps was really terrifying too. Just you can just be walking along awake and then fall into dream. That was that was a really cool, innovative idea. But I mean, we're not even talking about this movie. I can't believe we're talking about this movie. But it was just it. it was just so lackluster, and the performances were so underwhelming. Um, there were some good lines in there. Like I remember there. What was the line? Why are you screaming? I haven't even cut you yet. Or um, the human brain stays alive so long after the the body has died. That means we have six more minutes to play that there was stuff in there that was good it just came from a team of people who didn't ne- necessarily have the care for it that this same film crew had in 1984 yeah. yeah that'd be tough though this would be a tough movie to follow up i mean uh there are some movies that they just well we've seen how much of a hard time they've had with Halloween. Halloween has been rebooted, restarted, reimagined, re-whatevered so many times. And they they, they struggle with it a lot. Because mm-hmm. you go back, and no matter how good a job you do, people always look back at the original and go, yeah, that one was better. So yeah. they're kind of under the gun. So I know we're not talking about the remake, but at the same time, I can see where they would be so desperate to try to come up with something different and new and original to set themselves apart so that people don't immediately look at that film, look back at the original and go, yeah, you still suck. <laughs> I mean, yeah. so it, it would be, it'd be really a, a tough thing. And that's when you say no and you pick a different project because I don't want my name on something like that. But um, reboot. <laughs> Damn. Reboot. <laughs> 
I just, I've had this conversation so many times and, and this is coming from somebody who was huge, huge fan of the David Gordon Green trilogy of Halloween. I still feel like at the same time, there's just some movies you don't mess with at all. And this is not one that I would have picked because I feel like the story was just too damn original to try to replicate again. Yeah. And, and I know we already talked about the story and we moved on to special effects. Then we went back to the story, but you were talking about in the remake, they, that their whole, the, the, the twist they were throwing in was that he was actually innocent. And then you found out, no, he really wasn't. But um, in this one, the thing I find interesting is that it's pretty well accepted that Freddy was a child molester. He was not just a child killer. I feel like the... He was a child molester. That and part a lot was of that a little tension bit more, is there. I was going to say, I feel like that was a little bit more nuanced. But they never actually said it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so I feel like that was a lot better done. Yeah, I completely agree. Like that it was, is fucked up later slick. that you had children wearing Freddy pajamas. <laughs> It is. No, but how full circle but we've come. But it's pretty slick how they worked it in there. And like, it's heavily implied, but they never actually say it. Right. So. Yeah, even throughout the entire series, they still never come out and say it. You no. know, Freddy has these weird quirks, like like in Freddy versus Jason, where he takes the photo of the little girl and licks the back of it to put it down in the photo album. Yeah. You know, there's little things there, but yeah, they never come right out and say it. And that gives it another level of ick yeah. to him. Yeah, he's so gross. <laughs> that being said, their performance... Let's talk about the gross acting. <laughs> their performance of Robert England is, to me, in my opinion, unrivaled. And going back to the remake, that those were extremely tough shoes to fill. Because, like you said, um, and I cannot remember the actor's name. It's David something, but I cannot remember for life me who it is. I know the guy was in The Omen, and he was in Scream 2, <laughs> but I can't remember his name. Um, I don't know that it would have been the same if he had accepted and taken that role. Robert Englund just brought a swagger to it that I don't know that anyone else could have pulled off, pulled off yeah. you know? Because when he walked in, they saw this little nerdy guy and they were like, oh, I don't know that he's going to be able to do this. And he did it and then some. You know, when they went to filming uh, Freddy's Revenge, they were like, well, we can just put any guy in the suit. And they found out really quickly, no, you can't. This guy is this character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Robert Downey Jr. doesn't play Tony Stark. He is Tony Stark. Right, yeah, Robert exactly. England doesn't play Freddy. He is Freddy. Right. Um, but no, he... I don't know. He just brought something totally different to it. And he really committed and embraced the character. And that's that's something else is that I think he loves Freddy. Mm -hmm. He loved being Freddy. Uh, he wasn't one of those actors. It's like, well, I did this thing because I needed the money, but it's kind of embarrassing. And I really don't want to. Oh, no. He just jumped in. Yeah. Uh, and and ran off, ran off with it. And yeah, I think he, it's fantastic. He took complete ownership of that but role. They said that he when he came in, he was a lot more physical with his role than they originally anticipated or more than than Craven had actually written him to be with right. his movie and that sort of thing. And he went as far as to like get into a dirty ashtray and wipe ash under both of his eyes so his eyes would look more sunken in. Like he obviously took it very seriously. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think he, he may have known on some level that this was, that if he could do, if he could pull it off, this was going to be his thing. And it is, you know, and he's, he's one of those, those actors that he does not mind being known for this one part. You know, he, he has said how good this role has been to him and how it pretty much set him up for life. And if this is the only thing he's known for, he, he can die happy. Well, I mean, he can make that. a living off going to cons and signing autographs now. I mean, yeah, dude, I mean, seriously. But I love it when an actor really just takes ownership of the character. I like I love how Kane Hodder is Jason Voorhees. 
attitude kill in his yeah. lip. I know. I love it when an, when an actor or actress just jumps into it. Like even Danielle Harris, she does not have a specific role necessarily other than I guess Jamie that she's really known for, but she just embraced the horror life and ran with it. Right. And I don't know. There's so many actors and actresses that kind of turn their nose up at it. I really appreciate it when a when somebody like that just says I'm, I'm doing this. Mm-hmm. So anyway, um, acting wise, I think he is uh, irre- irreplaceable. Mm-hmm. You know, and he's getting he's getting up there in years. So I don't know what they'll do. I mean, you can just buckle up because at some point they're going to decide they need to reboot this franchise and they're going to cast somebody else. Yeah. And but, they're and they're not going to get somebody like what's his butt that plays the new Michael Myers. Right. That shows at that level of respect. I just I don't see it. But anyway, there were other people acting in this film. Well, so, well, well, before <clears throat> moving on to those other people, I just wanted to say again, in terms of his performance, I love that he does so much with it and that, yes, he can be extremely terrifying, but he also takes glee in the suffering of others and the chase and the pursuit and, and the sexual tension that goes along in that too. There's there's like dark humor in there that it, he's just, he's very eclectic. He's very eccentric and manic and funny at the same time. There's so many layers to that character that he's not just one thing. And I think that's what the idea of him being in your nightmares works so great because he can be anything you want him to be. So the credit that I'll give this film and his performance is that in this one, he wasn't so far over the top with it. And I realized that that probably wasn't necessarily his choice in the later films. That's probably the direction that they mm-hmm. wanted him to go with it. But in this one, it's not just the corny kind of goofy one-liners. He seems to take kind of a, he gets a sick amusement out of terrifying these kids. Mm-hmm. So I think you just said it. There's a, a certain level of glee involved with him cutting it, watching them watch him cut his own fingers off. Right. You know, there's a really sick satisfaction that he gets out of that. Yeah. That makes it all the more terrifying to the victim. So it's, it's kind of funny, but it's kind of, ooh, <laughs> you yeah. know, at the same time. And I appreciate that. Uh, wonder how much Art Clown borrowed from that. If, if he was listed as an inspiration, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Wouldn't me either. Especially not the, probably the first two movies. Yeah. Um, but on to other people that were in this <laughs> film. Um, Heather, Heather Langenkamp. Langenkamp. <laughs> I was almost going to say Nancy. No. Heather Lang- Langenkamp. I, she, I, I'm not going to, you go. I'm not going to talk shit. This was like her very first movie. So I, I think we're both in agreement here that you could tell this was probably her first role. Um, some of the line deliveries are not terrific. But that being said, she's still my favorite final girl of all time. You know, um, people, you know, be, being the hugest, hugest Hellraiser fan that there is, Kirsty has never been been my favorite final girl. Oh, in fact, in that first movie, I didn't feel like she really did all that much, to be honest. For me, I was more centered on Julia as a character than I was Kirsty. But I think in this film, Nancy was terrific. Um, maybe not every line reading, maybe not every gesture, but she was still, her performance was still compelling enough that you felt for her and you rooted for her and you wanted to see her defeat Freddy. I I liked it, and it, it's probably more to do with the writing than her acting necessarily. But I like it that she is one of the. 
I want to say few final girls that doesn't just run away. Mm-hmm. Right. Freddie keeps coming, keeps coming. And you see her and she's like taking earrings off. Said, okay, let's do this. <laughs> right. <bitch."> exactly. <laughs> like, exactly. Because um, I, I want you to think about Laurie Strode for just a minute. Okay. Yes, she did have a scene where she stabbed Michael in the neck. with While the, she with, was hiding in a closet. Well, in the neck was in front of the couch yeah, with a knitting still. needle. And in the closet, she stabbed him in the eye with a clothing hanger. But she didn't do a whole lot apart from that except run and scream and hide. Whereas Nancy was full hands on with this thing. Like She home alone her entire house. She did. She did. And it was badass. And she was practical about it. You know, it wasn't just, oh, I'm going to just do this thing for you to trip over. It was like very well thought out traps. Like she gave John Kramer a run for his money there a couple of times, <laughs> you know. Well, and- Macaulay Culkin at the very least. <laughs> And he just don't, I would say in later horror films, you know, like Your Next or something or, um, oh, what's that one you like? Ready or Not. Um, yes. You do have final girls now that are more, that are stronger and They're are more proactive. proactive. yeah. But back in this time, not so much. <sighs> and so it's it was really refreshing to see a female really get in there and kick ass. In the in the 80s, every, every female lead or whatever was Winifred Burke. They're just going to run till handsome man save me. <laughs> that's that's all. I mean, is. not all of them, but, but a lot of them a, were. But a lot of females were faceless victims. Yes. You know, do you have tits? Can you scream? Cool. You Will got you the take job. your top off? You're in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so it it was really nice to see something. And then part of the story, again, too, is taking into account that these are supposed to be 15 year old girls, you know, and I'm trying to think of my own 15 year old girl. And I'm thinking that would be terrifying. And I mean, I could see, I could see London being like that. Like, I'm not just going to sit here and take it. I'm going to pull your eyebrows out and bite and everything else to do what I have to do, you know? So, yeah. but it's just, yeah, the idea of the, these being, because they're always teenagers, but you always get the idea that they're seniors or they're, they're about to go to college or something. And then, you know, when you hear 15 years old, you're like, like oh no, my they God. were freshmen. Yeah. That's just, that's just insane to yeah. me. So. Um, what about anyone else in the film other than those two? Johnny Depp was serviceable, but again, it was one of his very first, one of his very early roles. Maybe not his, was he already done 21 Jump Street before? No, this? no, no. This was his very this first 21 role. Jump Street came after. Yeah. So he, mm-hmm. yeah. So he did, it was kind of the same. Nothing. I don't feel like he was given a lot to do. He, I mean, he did lay on a bed and watch TV and listen to music at the same time. <laughs> Watch Mrs. Nude America. <laughs> his line delivery when he's being just a punk kid is yes. not bad. No, his performance was actually really great for yeah. somebody who had never acted before. Well, because when we were watching that, you looked at Aiden and you were like, I can see you saying that exact thing. Yeah. I said, this sounds exactly like a conversation yeah. you and I would have. Yeah. Tina. Tina was okay. Um, the guy that played Rod, he was okay. I don't, I don't have any rocks to throw at him, but there's nothing they did that just jumped out at me that I thought, man, that's an Oscar-worthy performance. Well, of course not. <laughs> I don't feel like any, any of these are. Are, but the interesting thing about Tina, and it's something that uh, Wes Craven would go on to replicate and scream, that you take this girl that you think is going to be your lead and you start to feel safe and comfortable with her. You're getting some of her backstory, you know, like, yeah, she's being left home alone and her mom's running off with her boyfriend or whatever. And you start to feel for her a little bit. And Rod, I don't think they divulge his age, but I, for some reason, have it in my head that he's probably not 15. He No... He's been held back a couple of times, clearly. 
something. And same thing with, with Glenn. I feel like this is probably an older guy, like a case of seniors dating freshmen or something. And in Tina's case, it's, sorry, <laughs> it's not a good look, you know, especially, you know, when he kind of almost forces his way in there to, hey, we're gonna go have sex. And yes, Tina did agree to it, but I don't know. It just, it made me feel really sad for her, you know, that she's kind of being forced to grow up a little bit faster than she should be. And so when you have, Fre when you bring Freddy, the Freddy element into it, and then he straight up murks her, it you kind of are flabbergasted. It knocks the wind out of you a little bit like, okay. And from that moment, I think brilliantly, you don't feel safe, you know? And so Nancy, at that point, you really don't know too much about her, but then her story, story starts to unfold too. And it's just, yeah, I thought, I thought what little bit they did do with Tina was heartbreaking. And I thought that she pulled it off great, especially the nightmare sequences. And as far as Rod, um, J. Sue Garcia openly admitted to being on drugs at the time of filming. Well, that the, the scene in jail. Yes. Thank you for that interruption. Just clarifying because he didn't <laughs> say he was on drugs through the whole thing. And so it's weird because I remember thinking as he's crying behind bars, like, wow, he's doing a really terrific job. But he said that he wasn't crying because, you know, that's what the performance called for. He was crying because the state of his life at the time. And that's just, that's also really sad too. But at the same time, I thought he had a really decent performance too. Is this kind of cocky, you know, loud, obnoxious dude. Well, he, he said that wasn't acting. That was just him at the time. Yeah. And yeah, I thought, I thought he was great. And as far as Johnny Depp goes, like I said, I feel like you can kind of see those seeds in the beginning that this guy is going to go on to do something important. This guy's going to get real weird with it later. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to go full Frank. There's going to be poop in bed and everything. <laughs> yep. You play Nightcrawlers. <laughs> anyway, so. Was well, there anyone else do we want to talk about? Um, oh, God. Okay. James Woods. Or, <laughs> yes, we should go ahead and tell the story of James Woods. Or the other guy. What was the other guy? The dad. <laughs> um, Why can I not think of his name? John on. Saxon. Yeah, John Saxon. He yeah. fought Chuck Norris. <laughs> yes, he did. Um, no, Ronnie Blakely. I I'm sorry. People, like, on the commentary <laughs> talked some mad shit about her, and I don't know why. I've, I've never heard any stories about her being difficult to work with or anything, but but people have kind of talked shit about her. Yes. Um, and one of the things that I always associate her with now is when Podmortem covered Nightmare on Elm Street, and this would be the point where Travis would say, go back and listen to episode such and such, because he's yes. great about that. But um, no, I remember Travis and I were coming back from a long trip somewhere and we were listening to that episode and Renee said that every time she looked at Ronnie Blakely all she saw was James Woods with a wig on and every kid in the car was asleep at the time and I started like howling I was screaming I was just in full-on fits of laughter that I was crying probably peeing on myself I couldn't breathe and every kid in the backseat was like mom what the hell? And Travis was sitting up there like doing the what was what's that dog like the old Hanna Barbera dog that do the oh <laughs> I can't remember is it Mugsley? <laughs> but, I don't remember, but yeah, I don't remember. 
over, but he was turning purple because he was trying not to laugh as hard as I was. And so, thanks to Renee Hunter Vasquez, I cannot wow, watch this movie. <laughs> I am. I cannot watch this movie the same anymore. It's, yeah. But in a loving way. <laughs> it's, it definitely adds, a, adds some depth to the... <laughs> to the watch the, here's the thing it's not not making fun of how how she looks okay because she's not unattractive but the wig and makeup and stuff that they did on her in this film did not help her at all yeah like whoever her makeup artist was evil clearly <laughs> whoever whoever did that was just a terrible person and i, <laughs> I <don't, laughs> james woods so <laughs> ooh, peace candy <laughs> james woods high they were all in a school going to school later so oh my gosh uh, anyway yeah john saxon the man the myth he has he's, done everything no like, he hasn't he's been a cop in everything he's <laughs> no, no, in. no i mean like like you were saying he's fought bruce lee and chuck norris and he's fought freddy krueger like he's been in in jello films like the dude has had such a long and varied career that man like you better put some respect on john saxon's name because the dude is just he's he's an absolute legend and you're you're bringing up the fact that he's played a lieutenant probably five or six times in his filmography but the dude obviously had something about him that said that's a man you can trust <laughs> something <laughs> i guess I, I don't well i mean minus tom atkins always an alcoholic i don't <laughs> i don't know but they do they just keep casting him kind of in those same roles but he doesn't do a bad job and and in uh, in that documentary craven was talking about you know sometimes you find these seasoned actors that Sometimes maybe they're having a hard time getting work mm -hmm. or whatever, but they've got serious talent. They've got serious acting chops. They've got fantastic experience and you can get them pretty cheap. And I think that's probably what he was doing. See, that's one thing that I respect so much about people like Rob Zombie and Eli Roth is that they do the same thing. They pull these actors out of kind of obscurity and give them a second life in their film career. And I think that's terrific, honestly. But I just, I love Saxon's kind of no nonsense, you know, no bullshit you know what you see is what you get with him and as far as playing lieutenant thompson you know throughout the course of three films there's no you know there's no break in that he no. never seems to break that character like he picks it back up so seamlessly you know we we go into uh, dream warriors where he's basically the same but he's kind of a broken shell of his former self you know yeah. but at his heart he's still that guy you know that wants to protect his daughter right right he's been through a lot at that point though yeah I mean, he's seen some shit, <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, he's been, he's, I don't know. He's typecast. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't care. He, he was a lieutenant in Black Christmas too. So yes. Yes. <laughs> not, also in all, not Black Christmas too. He was in yeah, also. <laughs> Feel like i need to clarify <laughs> so i feel like that pretty well does it for the acting there were other people in here but a lot of them they were just on screen and then gone yeah i will say i will say i'll give a, a brief shout out to uh lynn shay was this her per first performance i don't know but lynn shay has also become an icon in her own right in the horror genre you know starting with this then you know landing that huge huge role in the insidious series and then doing stuff like really small like 2001 maniac 
next. You know, she's, I adore anytime I see her on screen. I think she's just terrific. So, I guess the next thing you need to do is tell me if there was any music in this movie. Dude, <laughs> I made you. Was there you, a score? I made you listen this time. You know what it is. Do not play dumb for the audience. It's not a shtick. Stop trying to make fetch happen. It's not going to happen. Wow. I'm going to need you to bring it down a couple notches. <laughs> Just calm down. It's going to be okay. What do you think about the score? I'm going to use the I word again. I'm no, sorry. No, 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 no. Yes, I am. Don't I am. It. It's iconic. Uh, I am. Because it is one, and you, you've brought it up more than once, like this one exactly, to be fair, that when you hear this music, you know what it is. When you hear John Carpenter score from Halloween, you know what it is. This is one of those, that, like, it's up there with Jaws or Star Wars. When you hear it, you know what it's from. You'd have to have been living under a rock to not know this theme, yeah. you know? And I think it says a lot for Charles Bernstein's score, you know? Yeah. No, I, I agree. And Craven had talked about, was it yeah, it was him, about you come upon like your central, your main theme, and then introduce variations of it that kind of tie in with it. So, I mean, it's the same music throughout the whole film. They've changed it just a little bit to kind of tie it to whatever mood's on screen mm-hmm. to sort of unify the entire film. And I feel like it works. But yeah, it's instantly recognizable, the the theme song is. Um, along with the little nursery rhyme, you know, one, two, Freddy's coming for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I don't remember who they said made that up. Was it Heather Langenkamp's boyfriend at the time? Or I think like more that. than one person had a hand in it because, <clears throat> yes, uh, Charles Bernstein ultimately created that. But I think it started with Heather Langham's boyfriend making a melody and then Wes Craven writing the lyrics. So, yeah, there were there were a few yeah. hands in that and it made something really special. But it's, I don't know, the Freddy theme is, is almost like the Star Wars theme. I already said that. So, all right, well, moving on. No, I'm not moving on. I think it's brilliant in that, yes, you take something like that nursery rhyme but I feel like it's kind of wove interwoven throughout the film and then it gives it that childlike thing but at the same time it's also such a surreal and dreamlike score too at the same time that it's it just works on that level that you feel like you could be dreaming you know so it, it, in that regard it's it's absolutely brilliant well I think they did a lot of it in a minor key so it sounds just a little bit off mm-hmm. and uh and yeah I think that adds to the, the sort of the sense of unreality in the in the film itself so yeah all right it's time for quote kill and scene it's taken us long enough (laughs) it did i'll let you start (laughs) all right so my favorite quote where's your pass screw your pass because they both delivered their lines the same way (laughs) they were just sort of in where is my super suit (laughs) yeah pretty much they both they sam jacksoned it and i was except neither one of them said fuck but it was that's that's probably my favorite quote kill it's gonna be tina I just, I don't know. Like, that's sort of the end-all, be-all of Freddy Kills, I think. Yeah. I mean, throughout the entire franchise, that's that's kind of the one. It's the most what? Well-recognized. So, <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. And scene, I think my favorite scene is in the in the beginning. when The very first time you see Freddy, like, pushing his face out of the wall above uh, Nancy's bed. Mm-hmm. Because that was just unexpected. First time I saw it, I wasn't, I was not expecting that to happen. You see something on the wall, and I'm like, what the hell? And then he comes, he's like, oh, oh, okay, mm-hmm. okay. Somebody put some spandex up there and then stuck his face in it, but all right. <laughs> it's still, it's still, <laughs> it's so cool. It's effective, and I had never seen that before. And the, the attention to detail that you can see every scar on his face yes. through there. Yeah, it's, it's incredibly neat and they did it i don't know in my opinion they do that several times in the franchise where it's him pushing through something mm-hmm. um, the other one that i think about 
the most is when it's like all the souls he's captured trying to push out of his stomach. Oh, yeah, yeah. In part uh, part four. And Dream Master, I believe. Yeah. This one with him, again, like pushing through the wall, so much better than that one. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people love that one, but I think it's just because there's naked women in there. Uh, it has, it's Linnea Quigley naked. And, you and know. I think that's the reason people like it. But I think that. <laughs> I don't know. This one's just so much scarier. Yeah. Of all the times you see him mashing his face against something, this is it. I agree. I agree. I mean, it would get used again in part two of him smashing through Jesse's chest, which I thought was another really, really effective scene. But you you cannot discount the OG. Like, that's yeah. that's where it began. So, uh, quote, kill scene. Oh, that's tough. Quote. Just because you didn't think of one before we sat down to record. No, we talked talked about it (laughs) throw me under the bus like that we talked about it i really just kind of want to go with this as god i mean there's something like you pointed it out you were like but he was so dramatic about it it was i know but that's that's what makes it you know that's kind of really the first time you see his face kind of up close and yes it's still in shadow but yes it's so dramatic and so frightening that you know yeah i love that um kill i'm also going to go with tina's um just because again we were talking about the magic of that scene and how effective it was and how did they do that and knowing everything that did go into it you know it's it it doesn't lose its luster for me hearing the behind the scenes of it I think it's still so damn effective even after all these years um scene I'm going to go with the final kind of standoff between Nancy and Freddie and I don't mean the booby traps I mean she's in her mother's bedroom she has his back back toward him and he's slowly rising up from the bed in that sheet you know and then you'd see the blood starting to come through and smoke and she's saying yeah I know you too well now and this is just a dream you're not alive you're nothing you're shit I I love that entire scene I love her turning around and looking so rough and defeated and yet so strong and telling him I want my mother and friends again you know I, I love that scene so much it's it's an incredible scene in my in my opinion so anyway so that she when she's just like i'm taking everything all the power back that i gave you why is it that in freddie versus jason when gina rollins is all like you're not even scary gina rollins yeah wasn't that her that's an old lady actress no, no, from no. the notebook you're thinking of kelly Rowland. kelly Rowland. i got <laughs> the last name donald got, glover i got the last name right <laughs> But she's making fun of him. Why didn't he just disappear then? Well, there you go. All right. It's broken. Um, (laughs) Well, technically, this didn't really work out for Nancy, too. And that's the tragedy of the story, ultimately, is is you see her have her victory. And then knowing how the film ends, you're going, was she in a dream this entire time? And she never, like, kind of woke up at the point that we see her at, you know, when her mother's getting sucked through the door. Has she been asleep this whole entire time? And she never defeated him, you know, because next time we see Nancy, she heavily medicated and you know kind of on this mission to save children from the same thing so kind of tells me she went through some pretty dark shit well so the problem with all of that is that those are none of those endings are the ones that Craven wanted right when he disappeared that was supposed to be the end no it was supposed to her friends were supposed to be back they were supposed to drive off but that was supposed to be and they were supposed to pan to the little girls jumping rope that was his original but um what's his butt Rob Shea Bob Shea Bob Shea (laughs) now I can't get names Right. Yeah, there you go. It's <laughs> contagious. Bob Shea wanted to be able to do a sequel, so they did the whole other the, stuff. The stripes on the car. And sucking the blow-up doll through the window. Yeah, yeah, because he wanted to have his hook. 
Yeah. And I I don't know if if we had been left with that original ending, we probably still would have had a franchise based s- off of England's performance alone. They could have still done a sequel and left the ending alone. Yeah. But I've heard many stories throughout this series of Bob Shea kind of wanting to insert himself into films or have his own opinion on how things should go. And I don't know why, but it irritates me just a little bit. And, and that being said, I have the utmost respect for what he did with New Line and what he did getting this film off the ground. But to hear the stories about, well, I better have this role. This is the role that I want, or this is the ending that I want, or this is the dream sequence that I want. It is irritating because it's like, it's not your movie, dude. Yeah. Like just because you're putting the money behind it doesn't mean that you take the artist's vision away from them. Well, what kills me is that the reason you're paying someone else to do this and you're not doing it yourself is because they have the talent and you don't. So leave them the fuck alone. If you had the talent to do it, you would be doing it, not paying him $20 million to do it. So shut the fuck up, sit down and let him do it. Don't harsh his gig so hardcore, I, I hate studio interference because 99% of the time they ruin the shit. I know. Yeah. yeah. It's like if you were if you were that awesome, then just do it yourself. Don't spend money on actors and actresses and big directors. Um, don't pay a bunch of money for a screenplay. You've got it all figured out already. Just do it yourself. And then there was a point where they said that they had to get uh, Bob Shea's dad involved for his opinion. And I'm like, that just sounds so petty. It is. Dad, this director won't listen to me and it's my money and I want it now. Yeah. (laughs) Mr. Craven made me big sad. (laughs) I don't know. Like I said, I have the utmost respect for him. But... But just in general, I feel like producer and studio interference, they just need to go away. Yes, I agree. Because again, if you could do it yourself, you wouldn't be spending millions of dollars to pay someone else to do it because you could do it. Right. And you can't. <laughs> okay. Travis. Yes. Mary fuck or kill oh, Nightmare on Elm Street. A Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, no. Um, Listen, this is like a twice a year drunk and lonely booty call but i'm not gonna kill it <laughs> like this is like no one else will answer the phone so i guess i'm gonna call you oh that is so harsh it is <laughs> but i'm not gonna kill it i'm not gonna kill it <laughs> uh it's a it's a mary for me yeah. dog yeah it is um, I'm so glad you have low standards. <laughs> no, it works out for me. <laughs> you know what? There are a lot of people. There, this movie's beloved. You're the exception to the rule. I know. So don't I, make me look bad. I, don't talk about my bad taste. Clearly, you're the one with bad taste, no, certain ninjas. No, no, no. no, no. <laughs> anyway, um, it's a Mary, and but this is another one that, like Travis, I put it on very rarely. But it's another one of those cases of I want the film to stay effective because I love it so much I put it on very very sparingly you know because you can watch a movie so many times that you wear it out and there was a time in my life where I watched the shit out of it I really really did I would do uh, franchise marathons repeatedly to the point where Travis was just sick of it but in my older age I have learned to appreciate it for what it is and take it out just from time to time so it continues to be I wish you felt that way about other movies like what well like when you watch the new hellraiser non-stop for three days (laughs) on repeat i'm sorry i to be fair though i have i have really calmed down on it (laughs) that's been a recent development 
<laughs> I was obsessed. What can I say? Um, but yeah, it's 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 one that I I could not imagine what the horror landscape would look like without it. I think because of it, it's another one that set up so many things that would come in the future. And I think that's why we call those guys our big three. Again, I really do. I think you had those filmmakers that took something and set the bar for the things to come later. So, I mean, they did a Bollywood version of this movie. <laughs> I would you know? love to see that. <laughs> I would love to see that. That's just, you know, <laughs> that's when you know you've made it, when you have a Bollywood knockoff. <laughs> that's right. Hey, you know what? We've watched a couple of those, and they're not bad. Have which, we? which one was it? That was Tollywood. Yeah, and that also wasn't a knockoff of something no, else. No, it wasn't, but it was a good film. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I know. I'm talking about ones that get, like, knockoffs. Like, even Saw has one. Did they really? <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's insane. <laughs> wow. So, final thoughts. Um, if you've never seen this film, like, uh, I guess it's been a few months now. Aiden's ex-girlfriend, Alana, was over at the house because she's still a really good friend of ours. And we had her over and she had admitted that she had never seen it. And I'm like, what? And I had this little thing where I think she looks so similar to Heather Langenkamp, minus curly hair. Um, cause I, I watched this not long after she and Aiden had broke up and I was like, oh. Um, but no, I got her to watch it for the first time and she was like, okay. So it was pretty corny. She's like, but it was still really good. I'm happy that I got to watch it. So I felt good passing that on to her. So I, again, I think it's one of those films that it's going to live on through the decades. So if you haven't seen it, absolutely, absolutely watch it. Okay. So was it my turn? Yeah. I think that you should also watch it. Um, just because it didn't tickle my pickle does not mean that it won't do it for you. Uh, I, I have been accused of having poor taste in horror movies or yes. just movies in general. Yes. And everyone who's ever said that is totally wrong. <laughs> But it doesn't do it for me, but I can see why other people love this film. And it's it's not at 95% on Rotten Tomatoes for no reason. Um, it's a good film. It's just not for me. But it might be for you. So, yeah, if you haven't seen it, check it out. Yeah. Okay. So, next week, we've already mentioned his name a couple of times throughout this episode. But we are going with another Eli Roth entry on this show. That's right. In celebration of his upcoming film, Thanksgiving, which I am super fucking pumped and excited for. We are going to be covering Hostel. Okay. I am also excited for his return, and it's got nothing to do with Thanksgiving. He's doing the Borderlands movie, <laughs> and that's badass. Although I'm questioning some of the casting choices because there's a few of them there. I'm like, nah, they're kind of too old to play the character. But having been a big fan of the video games back in the day when those came out, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to that. Yeah. So, yeah. We... And I'll probably have to sit through Thanksgiving, too. Yeah, you will. And you're going to sit through Borderlands. Uh, I probably will just because it's him. Even though I won't know anything, I'll just be like, oh, yeah, that's Claptrap. I recognize that little box guy. Yeah. <laughs> but that'll be about it. If he if he stays with the, the, the game, it'll be bloody. So it, it'll, it could still be a horror movie. Who's doing handsome jack did you see uh, that i don't know i know they cast like jamie lee curtis is supposed to play tannis and who was it? oh um the short comedian what's his name yeah uh, Ke kevin, kevin hart yeah kevin hart i was supposed to be playing kevin roland Smith. and i'm like he's way too fucking short to play roland like he's jack but your girlfriend gina gershon she's doing moxie right oh thank god <laughs> the only way they could have improved on that is if it was jennifer tilly but <laughs> anyway <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's an interesting looking cast, and I guess they're in pre-production or something right now, so. Yeah, but we're not talking about Borderlands right oh, now. Oh, but we will be. <laughs> 
No, that's right. Next week we will be talking about Hostel, a film that was very, very divisive when it came out and at what it had to say about xenophobia and Americans thinking that we're the most powerful, we're the most safe, and kind of what would you do if you were in this position? So yeah, stick around for, with us next week to hear what we have to say on the subject. Talk about the inception of torture porn. <laughs> but until then, thank you for listening to another episode of Dead and Married. I'm Ashley. And I'm Travis. Take care, guys. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Dead and Married. A very special thank you to our patrons, William and Zena Rush of Original Cinematic, Gary Horton, Carissa, Kate Lamp, Karima Rhodes, Kent Morton, Lala Thomas, and Renee Hunter Vasquez, John Paul Vasquez, and Travis Hunter of Podmortem. If you would like to support the show, go to patreon.com slash deadandmarried to find out how. Another special thank you to Alana Miller for composing Dead and Married's theme. You can find Alana's channel, Alana Llama, on YouTube. Check us out on X and Instagram at SpookyMom83 and TravisL80, respectively, as well as our official pages. Please consider rating and reviewing, and thank you again for your support.